0: Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Well, this past week, um, I got a text from someone, this is funny, they texted me, they said, hey, uh, I saw, and they don't even go to redemption, but they said, uh, they've been following us online, um, you know, here and there. And so I think they've joined us digitally a couple times. And they said, uh, I saw that you're doing a unity series. Uh, w- was that planned or was it just serendipitous timing, you know, and uh, I promise you it was planned, I promise. Um, we knew this, we knew that uh, there, there would be, um, you know, some, some disunity after this election. We, we didn't know the outcome of the election, it, that didn't matter. <laughs> when we planned this in January, um, what we did know is that the hearts of mankind would be on display and, uh, and there would be disunity, that there would be a struggle there. Uh, we are a disunified country in so many ways. On Thursday, um, uh, Friday, sorry, on Friday, I, I went to lunch with a couple and we went to Mission Taco and uh, he ordered a Diet Coke. And he goes, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, is it Pepsi or Coke? And she goes, "It's Coke." And he goes, "Okay, good. I'll, I'll take it then." Right? I mean, like, like we are we are even disunified when it comes to soda choices, Pepsi or Coke. And you know, most people are on the Coke side, I think, but some some people are on the Pepsi side. Uh, when it comes to sports rivalries, we are disunified. Right? Um, come the week of December twelfth, I believe the game is. If you uh, if if you root for the team up north is what we call them in Ohio State, but uh, if if you root for the rivals, uh, we will be disunified during that week. Okay, it's just it's just what happens. It's just reality. Um, but all jokes aside, when it comes to things like socioeconomic plans and things like that, we are not unified. When it comes to social stances, we are not unified, and that's the bottom line. Uh, as a country, we. Experience a lot of disunity. And so how do we get this right? How do we find unity in a time that we are so unbelievably disunified? How can we be united with one another? Because I promise you this, getting this right is of utmost importance. We cannot afford to get this wrong. You're gonna see that as we, as we go to our scripture today, uh, but we cannot afford to get this wrong. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a prayer request that Jesus had, which is crazy. Because you, you know when you think of Jesus, you think he doesn't have prayer requests, he's the one that the prayer requests come to, right? Um, but that's actually somewhat theologi- or theologically incorrect. It's theologically wrong. Uh, he also has prayer requests. And today, we're going to look at maybe his most important prayer request of all time. But before we get there, we're going to go to a guy named Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey, he wrote a book in 1989 called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you've read that book, go ahead and give me a... Hand in the air, okay. So half of us, I think, all right. Um, very good. So it, it's an incredible book. Uh, I had to borrow my copy, borrow a copy this past week because I think I misplaced my copy. Um, I've, I've read the book four or five times. It's an incredible, incredible book. If you have not read it, you need to read it, okay? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, crazy thing about this book, it has 25 million copies. It's, uh, it's in 40 different languages worldwide. The audio version has one and a half million copies. Uh, copies that, that has been listened to, and it still remains one of the best-selling nonfiction business books of all time. Okay, so in the second habit, remember there's seven. It's called Seven Habits. It'd be really weird if there were eight. Uh, so Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The, the the number two habit is begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And it's very simple. You know, it, it's kind of in the the whole uh, you know title of of the chapter. Essentially, what you do is anything that you want to do, you begin with first having the end in mind. You begin going, hey, what do I want this to look like? What do I want the outcome to be? Now, let me go backwards and create what I want it to look like. Okay, so this is what beginning with the end in mind is, right? And, and, and we do this um, more than just in business. It's, it's something that I think we, we do often uh, in, in ways that we study things, if, if you would study a war or you would study, um, you know, how someone came to power or you would study how a country became a country, you might first go, okay, they became a country, but how did they become a country, right? And then the documentary goes, let me take you back to 1942 or whatever, you know. And uh, I don't know if any, any countries have become countries since 1942, I just threw that date out. But anyway, you see what I'm saying? Um, and so you would go back and you would kind of study with a purpose. And I think the reason that we do this is twofold. One, it, it, it kind of removes... The anxiety, it removes the anxiety. Um, it, it gives us the spoiler alert effect. If, if you've ever uh, watched an action movie or a horror movie, um, and you're watching it, and, and if, if you're like, hey, I don't know if this guy's going to be taken out or not, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you have so much anxiety, right? But if you know, hey, this guy's good, like, he, he ends up being the hero. All of a sudden, you're watching the movie going, I wonder how this guy becomes the hero, Right? And then uh, beyond that, the second thing that uh, it helps us uh, you know, is to study with a purpose, to, to really study something with a purpose. I love the Bible because we know how it ends. I love the Bible because really it was the OG of begin with the end in mind, right? Like the Bible is the OG on the spoiler alert, okay? Like, hey, uh, like... God wins, okay? He's not losing this thing. And so the question that we have to ask is, where are we in this? Um, But as we get to study the Bible, I love it because God doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us to be filled with anxiety and fear. He literally gave us a love letter called the Bible that is the story of his pursuit of us and the promise that at the end, it's all going to be okay, no matter what. It's all going to be all right. And so today, we're going to study the Bible uh, as beginning with the end of the mind. And, uh, and, and we're not going to go uh, to Genesis to understand Revelation, but rather, uh, or go to Revelation to understand Genesis, but rather we're going to go to the end of Jesus' life. We're going to listen in to some things that he said and he, he prayed for, that he requested to understand what he wants for us and how he lived his own life. Okay, so here at Redemption, we always do this. We start at the same place uh, when we're hitting a big chunk of scripture. And so we're going to go uh, to the same place together, and that's the table of contents. So you can, you can go to your phone or your physical Bible. Let's go to the table of contents. We're going to go to John chapter 17. John is in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is one of the biographies of Jesus. And um, we're going to go to John chapter 17. Okay, to give you some, some context here, John chapter 13 through 17 is a group of scripture, and it's really important when we study scripture, it's really important for us to, as much as we as much as possible, as much as we can, to group together scripture, okay? So, so what happens in John chapter 13, all right? This is the upper room, okay? We, we know of the upper room, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, the upper room, John chapter 13, um, the, the, this is when Jesus is with his disciples, it, it's the night that he's betrayed, okay? This is John chapter 13, he washes his disciples' feet in this chapter, okay? John chapter 14, he starts talking about heaven, this promise of heaven. Like, I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you. Where I go, like, like you know the way that I'm, and Thomas is like, wait a minute, what are you talking about, Jesus? We have no clue what you're talking about, which I love. The disciples were always like, Jesus, we have no clue what you're talking about. Does anybody else feel like that sometimes? You're reading the Bible and you're like, I don't know what he's saying, right? Okay, it's okay. His disciples felt the same way. They were with them all the time and they were like, he's crazy, right? Okay, so John chapter 14, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? John chapter 15, hey, uh, like he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing apart from me. Like these are all very famous parts of scripture, right? Okay, all in the upper room, all in the last moments of Jesus' life. So 13, 14, 15, 16, we're going to go into 17, and again, this is all in the upper room. Now, I I love this because... When when people are towards the end of their life today, we lost Alex Trebek. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, 2020 strikes again. You know, um, like when people pass away, all of a sudden the hours leading up to the end of their life, the days leading up to the end of their life, what happens? People people they they, they come in close and they start to really listen. Like what are you saying? Now what's interesting is that the, the, the disciples they didn't get this opportunity. Okay, see we look at scripture and we know what's gonna happen. The disciples didn't know. Like they're eating with their Lord. They're eating with the the man they believe to be the son of God. And they're like, no way he's getting killed, right? Like we're gonna ride this thing into victory. Like we are all gonna collectively be the soldier on the white stallion riding into battle. We're gonna overthrow the Roman government. We're gonna win this thing, baby. Like we got him on our side, you know? Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the entire Bulls team behind Michael Jordan. And so like, anyway, like they're like, there's no way we're losing this thing. And then he dies, which is crazy. They didn't know he was going to die. Not, not at that time, even though he told them, by the way, they were also confused about that. We have the opportunity to, to, to lean in and to listen to the last moments of Jesus' life. It's like we're in Harry Potter and we have the invisibility cloak and we get to listen in, right? Okay. That was my nerd reference of the day. All right, here we go. John chapter 17, Uh, we're gonna go start in verse one. After saying all these things, remember all these things? The things like, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches, all these things. Okay, like the teachings of Jesus that were heavy. After saying all these things, Jesus, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. His disciples are over here in earshot going, what is he doing? Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. We see this later on. Jesus, when he gives the great commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now listen to me, listen to me. This is theologically important for you to hear this. We read that in Matthew 28 and we're like, okay, like all authority in heaven and earth was given to him when he resurrected from the dead. No, it was not it was given to him before the upper room something called the transfiguration a lot of people think it was at that time you can read about that but it's there in scripture at some point god the father was like hey all the all the veils of humanity that or, or, or all the all the yeah all the veils of humanity that covered your deity that you chose to take on these these things of humanity to cover your deity that instead of you doing all these things like 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 god would you act like a human and all these things. That's what Jesus did for us. I'm gonna, remo- I'm gonna remove that. You- you're gonna have all authority, all power. See, when Jesus comes to earth, there are certain things and we don't know the line um, theologically. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of discrepancy or a lot of different belief, but there were, there were ways that he kind of veiled those things. It's like a father when he's playing soccer with a son and uh, he could smoke him in the face, you know, with the ball, and uh, and he could, he could score all day long. But he's like, you know what? I'm gonna temper that side of who I am, um, so that I can be relatable to my son. See, Jesus does this. Okay, so so whatever it looks like, here's the deal: all authority was already given to Jesus. What does this mean? It means that Jesus goes to the cross with full full ability to change everything, and he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Okay. Um, so one might say it's because he loved you. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And so this is, <clears throat> this is Jesus. He's saying that I give eternal life to each one that you have given me. He's speaking in the third person, okay? Uh, verse three, and this is the way to have eternal life. Pay attention to this. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth if you were wondering, like, how do I know God? How do I, how do I have eternal life? You, you know God, the only true God, and you know Jesus Christ, the one whom the only true God sent. What I love about this is Jesus, he's implying that you can know God. There's this um, belief in our world today, that you cannot know God, um, that he's too great, he's too big. And some people would look at that, and I, I think that they would look at that, and, and, and they would see a lack of faith, or they would see, you know, um, someone who, who really has this like wrong belief in God, and they're, they're right, but, but, but hear me, the person that believes that you can't know God, they're so close to it. Because what they're, what they're thinking is that God is so big. If he really is the creator, he's so great. How could you ever know that God? But here's where they get it wrong. The beauty of God is that he came to earth so that you can know him. He gave up his life so that you would know him and that you would live for eternity if you believe that Jesus is the son of God who was crucified on the cross and died and he rose three days later. And if you believe that, you can know God. I love this because God doesn't dangle these spiritual carrots in front of your house like you're a dumb donkey, right? Instead, he goes, no, 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 you can know me and I want you to know me. And so we have the Bible, right? We have these stories. Verse uh, verse four, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Again, this is Jesus here. This whole thing is Jesus, big monologue. It's a prayer. Verse 5, now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. What was Jesus doing before the world began? See, again, man, these moments with Jesus, they're theologically rich. So many people believe that Jesus was created, that he was a created being, um, and that he was uh, created when he was born, that he didn't exist prior, uh, that God created him when he was born. Okay, I'm not asking if you believe that. I'm asking, has anybody ever heard that before? Okay, a couple. All right, the rest of you are like, I never really had those theological discussions. I just didn't really have those yet. Um, But but, but here, listen, see, Jesus is God. Now, one thing we know about God is that, that he has existed always, right? And so Jesus, the son, existed with the father, before the world began, before, before Genesis, right? Before God created anything. And he says, bring me into the glory that we shared. I don't know what that looks like. Sounds pretty awesome. I don't know what it looks like though. I don't think we know what that is. Um, maybe one day in heaven, there'll be a class on what that time was like. I bet it's pretty great without, uh, without sin, you know? Uh, okay, verse six. I have uh, revealed you to the ones that you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. They accepted it and, now, uh, or, and know that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. Okay, this is like, it's a big deal. He's talking about those disciples here uh, as followers. My prayer is not for the world. This is really interesting. Jesus says, my prayer is not for the world. But, um, you know, in, in, in Luke chapter 15, um, he, he talks about he, he came for the sick. He came for the world. He came for the sinners, the people that need him. Uh, he came so that they would have eternal life. But he says here in this prayer, my prayer is not for the world, but for what? For those you have given me. He's praying for his disciples because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. Right, ding, 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 ding. Jesus is going, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. He's praying, he's talking to the Father but his disciples are listening in, okay. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. And here's where Jesus gets into it. He wants unity. Jesus is the original. He's over here praying unity, right? I want it. Okay. Uh, just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name that you gave me. I guarded them so that uh, not one of them was lost, except, this gets awkward, uh, the one that's headed for destruction, that's Judas, okay? Uh, as the scriptures foretold, um, what's more awkward is Judas, uh, actually, I believe at this point he's, he's walked away, but he was there, you know, the entire night. Um, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they will be filled with my joy. Remember last week, we talked about happiness, right? Does God want you to be happy, okay? Um, Jesus here, he's going, hey, all these things are happening. I told them this stuff. Why? So that uh, they will be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Quick commentary here. Jesus says here that, that the world hates the disciples. Why? Because they're aligned with Jesus. And more often than not, the world doesn't hate you and us as Christians, because we're aligned with Jesus, the world hates us because we're aligned with the world and we say we're with Jesus. You get this, right? Like, I mean, the world hates us because we say we love Jesus, but we also trash people on social media. And the world is going, that's not Christ-like. They're going, I don't know much about Christ, but I know that's not Christ-like. I've seen a lot of it. I've seen a lot of it the past couple days. Um, the world hates us because we, we, we come down pretty hard, we judge a man and a man or a woman and a woman because of their sins, right? Um, but we, we, we have a whole laundry list of sins in the same category-ish, right? I'm trying to keep this PG, kids in here, but you, you catch my drift? We're really judgmental about that, but we're fine with all of these, See, this is why the world hates us. Why? Because we live so hypocritically. And I yearn for the day when the world looks at us and goes, I hate Christians, and this is why I hate them. The truth is, if I gotta be honest, I love that they love us. I love that they're the most generous people I know. I love that they're always the first ones to show up and serve. I love that they don't live their lives about themselves. I love that they're always in the community, loving the community, I love that. I can never volunteer at the soup kitchens and all these other places because they already have those spots filled. I love that there isn't an orphan problem in America because they are taking care of them. I love that the adoption issue is covered. I love that all these things are covered. Man, I love Christians, but you don't want to hate them. I hate them because they're pro-life. I hate them because they're pro lifelong monogamy. I hate Christians because they're exclusive with their beliefs. They They have the audacity to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. No, there are thousands of ways to heaven. How could they be so prideful to believe that there's only one and they know it? That's why I hate Christians. Man, if that day came, I would rejoice because finally they would understand they would understand what christianity truly truly is about love for god above love for others right following a god and his rules and his plan for life john 10 10 right jesus says i, I have come to give you life and to give it abundantly, but the thief comes to rob, kill and destroy. Like God above all else, he's gonna give us life and we're gonna follow his plan to, re- to, to receive life. But we love others ferociously, fearlessly. And when that day comes, we can rejoice. But until that day comes, we have a little bit of work to do. Because more often than not, the world hates us because we align with the world, but we, but we say we're with Jesus. Verse 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. This is such an interesting thing because when I was growing up, uh, we, we created our own culture, okay? We had our own, like I, I had this shirt, it said, it said a breadcrumb and fish instead of Abercrombie and Fitch, right? And, uh, and like, we had like all these, you know, all these things. We had, okay, like at the local Christian store, uh, there were these, these mints called testaments, and 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 you know you like you ate these mints and they were good, uh, but there was also these like moments in the mints or these on the wrappers that were like verses or something, you know. Um, you know everything that we did, there was like everything the world did, there was like a Christian counterpart, and it was cheesy, bad movies, bad music, all this stuff. It was just wasn't good. We created our own culture. Why did we do it? So that we could circle the wagons and get out of the world. And Jesus himself, in the last moments of his life, he's going, guys, listen, I'm not sending you out of the world. So this whole culture that we create, disobedient, sinful, hear me. Was it well-intentioned? Sure. A lot of that culture It it, it lends to a segregation. And the only way that darkness will be lit up is when the light enters. And if we as believers, if we're gonna light up a dark world, we have to be in it. And Jesus, he gets this. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. God, Father, please, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Don't remove them from the world, but keep them safe from the evil one, Satan. They do not belong to the world any more than I do, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus has sent us into the darkness as a light to the darkness. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And here we go, here's the the crux. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He's talking about you. Okay, so you need to hear, you need to listen. You need to really like put on your listening ears. This is my teacher in elementary school. He used to say, hey, put on your listening ears because I was always talking. Shocker, I uh, wasn't listening. Corey, put on your listening ears. Um, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So what does Jesus pray for? What is his his grandiose prayer request in the upper room, the moments before he's going to die, he's literally, in all actuality, on his deathbed. What does he pray for? He begs God for unity. And not unity between he and his father. They already have it. He begs God for unity right here in this room for us, to, for us to be unified, one. And when we define unity in our culture, we say the state of being united or joined as a whole or the number one, meaning it's not divided, it's, 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 it's one, right, a whole. So Jesus prays for unity, but what kind of unity does he pray for? He prays for perfect unity. A couple of weeks ago, we asked you on Instagram, Uh, What is unity? Go ahead and define it. Describe it. And you said this. Unconditional love. Finding common ground. Helping each other out. Lifting each other up. But is this the unity that Jesus is talking about? I don't think so. Because let's be honest. You can have unconditional love for someone but still disagree with them. You can uh, find common ground with other people on one thing, but disagree with them on everything else. You can help each other out. You can help someone out on the street that you've never met, and you you may not agree on anything, but you helped them out. You spotted them a five. You can lift each other up. You can go serve people. You know, there was a a couple. uh, One time we we went and served this this couple. They were um, uh, an uh, Iranian uh, refugee couple. They needed to move a couple things. We went and helped them, and I I don't even know what they believe. I'm not unified with them on anything. I have no clue what they believe, but we lifted them up. See, is Jesus talking about this partial uh, agreement or this goodwill toward others? No, he's not. He's talking uh, about perfect unity, specifically the perfect unity that he and the Father had. Let's look at what he said. And may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. If we get this wrong, if, if we get this wrong, uh, I would say that, that we lose the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel still stands. It'll never change. But the power of the gospel to be preached from us through our lives is done. It's over. What hinges on us getting this right or us getting this wrong? Everything. The bottom line is this, that our unity is our testimony. Our unity is our testimony. It's everything. What it means is, the person that you've been trying to share the gospel with for years, your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents, your brother, sister, spouse, your children. I'm a millennial, I, I, I pastored Gen Z's for years, And this is what I know, an entire generation has left the church. We see this, you know this. And and you're questioning, why, man, I've had these conversations over and over and over again. Had a conversation over at Todd Nixon's house with a whole group of people, uh, I don't know, two months ago. And they said, um, the, the question was posed, why do you think people have left the church? And somebody spoke up and said, politics. They weren't saying politics. That's not what they were saying. What they were really saying was this, disunity in the church. I promise you this, people are not leaving the church in droves because they've investigated the claims of the resurrection and they find them to be false. They're leaving the church in droves, many reasons, but I believe one of the large reasons is because they've looked inside and they've wanted nothing to do with it, and they've been inside, and they're wondering why we don't look like Jesus. And so much of that is because we are not unified. Have you ever looked into a group from the outside in, and you've said like, man, they are so disunified. They argue about everything. Like what hoops do I have to jump through to be a part of them, right? Like that never happens. We, We don't do that. No, 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 we, we, we look at a family that, that 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 loves each other, like sitting around, watching the news, eating some ice cream or whatever, hanging out, okay, going on a walk, going on vacation, they love each other, they're not griping the whole time. You go, man, I love that family. I, I would love to be a part of a family like that. What do we think the world is doing? What do we think they're thinking when they look inside and they, and they see us? Our unity is our testimony. Okay, let me say this, and then uh, we're gonna go uh, to communion here in just a second. But um, when it comes to unity, your unity, our unity, is not the gospel. It's our testimony to the gospel, it's our door that opens up our opportunity to share the gospel. But it's not the gospel. Just because you're unified with someone doesn't mean that people are going to come to Christ. Listen, eyes up here. Listen to me on this. Please remember this. It is, it is so true. The road to hell, they say, is paved with good intentions. Right? True. The road to hell is also paved with men and women who know cowardly Christians. The road to hell is paved with people who, who are waiting for the gospel and they know many Christians and they've never been told the gospel. I believe, supported by scripture, that there will be people in hell one day. And uh, they knew a lot of Christians here on earth. They knew a lot of believers The road to hell is paved with cowardly Christians. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. When was the last time that you heard, uh, you heard the, the score of the gladiators? Or you turned on ESPN and you saw a gladiator fighting a lion in the Colosseum? When was the last time that happened? It hasn't, right? Why? Because kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. At the time of Rome, they were impervious. They, they would never have been taken down. But they're not part of the UN today, right? Uh, not the Roman Empire. On Tuesday, how many votes did the Whigs and the Tories get? Political parties dissolve. If you don't know who the Whigs and the Tories are, Google them. Uh, there's a reason you don't know them, because they've never been in our modern elections, not in the... Not in the last, uh, last uh, century. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, political parties dissolve. But this, right here in this room, it lasts forever. The reason that Jesus wanted us to get this right is because our unity is our testimony. And if we wanna share the gospel with a, with a spiritually dead world who needs to know the life-giving message of the gospel, we need to be unified. I also, he, he didn't say this, not here, um, but if, if I can just imagine right now, I, I think Jesus had another desire. When, when the family reunion starts, and we're all in heaven together. There are gonna be people there that you disagree with politically. And man, food's gonna taste real weird if you unfriended them on Facebook, you cut them out of your life, and you said, that's it, I'm never gonna speak to them again. Then you both die. And before the throne of the lamb, before Jesus, You're sitting there, shoulder to shoulder, and there's a lot of shade right there, a lot of beef. I think Jesus wants us to get this right so that for eternity, we can do what's most important. We can be unified as a family in worshiping the creator. It's imperative that we get this right. I was talking about uh, the upper room and uh, Jesus, he, he instituted his new covenant. This is before he dies, right? As we go into communion here, he, uh, Jesus, he he takes the bread, right? And he, he breaks the bread and he gives it to them. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If anybody needs extras, we got some. One of these days I'm gonna get this right. I'm just in this flow, you know, I'm like up here preaching. This is that like, you know, chapter 13 through 17 moment. They're in the upper room. And so Jesus, he takes the bread and he, he, he breaks. He says, this is my body broken for many. As often as you, as, you, as you meet, do this in remembrance of me, eat this. And then he takes the wine and he pours the wine out into a cup. And he says this, he says, this is the blood of my new covenant. The very thing that we're unified under, the very thing that every week, I could sing that song every week, make us one, like God, make us one. That's not our prayer, that was Jesus' prayer, right? He wants us to be one. And this is the new covenant. And so, so every week, we take communion. And when we do, uh, scripture says in, in Corinthians, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. But I think there's something else. Every time that we take communion, you are saying, to so the person on your left and the person on your right, that you're unified with them, that you're one with them, that they're, that they're a family member with you, regardless of who they voted for on Tuesday. When it comes to um, unity, it starts with a Conversation.